This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, isn't this season starting to gather some momentum? A slow start back in September and a bit of a dull autumn period left us all worrying it was going to be a bit of a slog. But then Manchester City became the first team to five straight Premier League wins by beating Crystal Palace and then the first team to six straight Premier League wins by getting over the line against Aston Villa. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we'll be looking at how City have put themselves into such a good position in the title race despite that slow start. We'll also take a more in-depth look at John Stones in front of goal after his brace at the weekend and we'll hear part two of our interview interview with former City goalkeeper David James. Not only that, but we'll be looking at the coming games with Cheltenham and West Brom, and we'll take your questions to end the show with as well. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two City fans. I've got Casey. All right. And Chris Higginbottom. Good evening. Good, good. Uh, you both well? Yeah, absolutely buzzing, mate. <laughs> you don't sound it, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, I, I, would, I, w- I would be happier if, uh, if, if, uh, if we did uh, manage to hold on to the top of the league last night, but you know. Well, you can't have everything, can you? Bloody no. form. Um, right. Well, I mean, let's let's start off with uh, with Wednesday's games because I'm also um, fine. Oh yeah, thank, <laughs> thanks for letting me know, Chris. <laughs> um, let's start with the controversy around the Villa game. Uh, let's clear it up because the opening goal against Villa was not offside, and uh, here's the relevant part of the offside law. It says a player in an offside position receiving the ball from an opponent who deliberately plays the ball, including by deliberate handball, is not considered to have gained an advantage unless it was a deliberate save by an opponent. Now, Tyron Mings clearly didn't make a make a save because the ball was nowhere near the goal. Uh, it was a deliberate action. He chested it down. Rodri was therefore onside. Controversy over, Chris? Well, depends who you are, doesn't it? Um, there seems to be a, a lack of ability to, to criticise the rule rather than, or the law rather, rather than the way it's being applied by uh, people who are contesting whether the goal should have stood or not. The letter of the law is that you know the goal should stand. Now, if you don't agree with the law, and personally, I think it's a bit dodge, then you know make your peace, make your make your point with the powers that be about that. Don't have a go at us. It's uh, not our fault, is it? It's a bit of a strange one. It's one of those where if it keeps happening, they'll probably change the rule, and it will no but, longer but, be. But what I don't get about it is like I've known about this this bloody law for donkey's years. I, I, I don't know why people are acting like it's something that's brand new. It, it's just, uh, I, I'm I'm usually the person that, you know, when a soft penalty is given against us and I'm like, well, it is a penalty. And I'm arguing with, you know, other City fans going, it is a penalty, just accept it, it's a penalty. Well, this one, I have... I genuinely have no idea why there's so much confusion around it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. It's because normally in that situation, like the assistant would flag, and we'd all go, "Yeah, that's all right. It's probably offside." Do you know? Do you know what I mean? But because he didn't, and the play carried on, and they scored, they then check it with VAR, and they check. Well, like it is a new, it's a new phase of play, so it's it's not going to be ruled out for offside. And yeah, but I don't goes, think... well, normally that would be offside. <laughs> no, but I don't think an assistant would have flagged in the past few years. It's not like just I, I know the I know the flagging has changed since VAR's come in, but I think the flagging changed anyway. Even before, you know, a couple. I, I think we're talking five, six years minimum that this that this has been in place. I, I I genuinely can't can't wrap get my head around people doing this weird straw man argument just because you, you know you go oh yeah you stood miles over there, but that, that that's not. That's not been the rule for about twenty-five years. That if you're off, you know, there's interfering with play and all that sort of stuff. You can't just 
okay. nilly. If you're so sort of au fait with the with the rules, does does the same apply on like a dead ball then? So if there's a dead ball situation, someone's looking to swing it in the box, the line is on the edge of the box. As a striker, I mean I'm not saying that I am more of a false nine. If if I <laughs> stand like you, you're forgetting that we've both played with you. Well, very, very false nine. Like. <laughs> um, if I stand like 10, 15 yards offside at the far post and the ball is swung in to like, you know, not the near post because I'm saying the line, the defensive line's on the edge of the box. Can I then just sort of meander, you know, you on can, the first you touch? Play the first you can stand there as long as you want. And if a defender flicks it back to you, you're onside. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and and this is the thing. Attackers do it on free kicks all the time. Not to the extreme of 15 yards, but attackers do it all the time. They stand offside in the hope that they will drag them back. I do that on, like, because I, you know, play for Sunday football. I, I will stand a few yards, not, not, a, lo- not a load, because that involves uh, having then to travel Move. to get back yeah but like you know just to confuse them standing between say two center halves just a couple of yards off in between them they don't they don't know who's supposed to be marking me anyway because i'm in between them just splitting them and the fact that i'm offside they're like well just leave him unfortunately the team i play for doesn't have the quality to actually find the area where i'm looking to get back on but i suppose that's <laughs> it isn't it it's like if you you can stand where you like if they've then touched it it's the next phase. It's in play. It's, it is. It, it, it has really to be that simple. Yeah, it has to be a deliberate touch. So, in the, like in the case of Mings, there because Mings has chested it down, they, like he's inte- it, it, it's an intentional playing of the ball. It's not. It's not deflected off him. He's 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 played the ball, and it's also not the t- the, the, the touch that the, the tackle that Rodri makes is you know it, it's not that first touch of the ball. It's not. He's not challenging for that first touch. If he was challenging yeah. for the same ball that Mings was trying to control, then he'd yeah. be offside. But he's not. So if Mings had have gone like feigned ignorance, looked confused, let it smack him in the face, um, Rodri wouldn't have had any grounds I, to. I nick think in. I think he'd struggle just on the fact that that he was looking at the ball. So he's not like it's. He could have headed it away. Yeah, he could have headed it. He could have headed it away. He could have. He also had a look behind him twice before any of this actually before the interception or the tackle or whatever you want to call it the recovery happened. Ball's in the air. He has a little glance over his shoulder, knows Rodri's there. And then he has another little sort of furtive uh, head movement just before he makes his uh, his error, which yeah. is ultimately what that situation was. It was a Ming's error. So He had he had three options, of... basically. The, the, like two of them would have caught Rodri offside, which is uh, head it away, and then if, if City play it back and it goes to Rodri's offside, or let it run through to the goalkeeper, in which case if Rodri wins it, then he's offside. Or his third option is bring it down and know that Rodri's there and be stronger, not get tackled, and just be competent. Yeah, yeah, yeah just be just be better at your job. Um, let's let's look at the wider picture then for the last two games because um, like it, it certainly felt like City have started to finish a few chances. But as I was looking at this, um, obviously the, the the second goal against Villa was a penalty. That was so obviously from the spot. Um, the rest of them. Bernardo Silva aside, all come from the back of set pieces, and this is this feels a little bit new, Kieran, because like, two Stones goals. Okay, they weren't direct from the corner, but they were because of the corners. Gundogan, you know, recovers the cleared corner and pops it in the top corner against uh, against Palace. It's like this is a new side of City. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, you take a you take a free kick now, won't you, over a penalty? 
we uh, I know I know we scored one last night, but the, how how poor we've been from the spot. Like you'd think, right? Just just let Kev have it from twenty five yards or whatever, wouldn't you? It just just would seem to make more sense. But I think I think um, we'll see of how much of this might be just a trend or a spike now that it seems that De Bruyne might be out for a couple of games because a big part of um, converting set pieces is obviously going to be amazing delivery from from him. I know Sterling pops one in from. The, for, for the top corner for the for the last goal the other night, but I don't think many people were expecting him to do that. To be honest with you, were they? I wasn't expecting it to be so assured. Um, it looked like a bit of a routine, though, didn't it? He was he was straight for it. There's two players in the wall who ducked out of the way, um, and it was like, you know, it was very assured and kind of retrospectively beyond doubt when he uh, when he did it. It's just when he's got like. Loads of options in front of him. I know you kind of have on a on a free kick, but you've made your mind up before you're striking it. Where when he's got to make his mind up and he's got loads of choice one on one, he kind of flounders a little. Yeah, nobody's going to close you down on a free kick. Free kick, and if they do, they're going to get booked like that fellow in the World Cup, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, for Zaire. Or yeah, yeah. It's, it's Sterling's just um, and and I think he's in one of those phases where he's living up to being a massive contradiction at the moment because he's he's simultaneously amazing and terrible at the same time at the minute. At sometimes, um, he's he's a, he's a very intelligent player, but who thrives on being amazing on his instincts. If that makes mm. any sense as well, it's like he's much. Better, like you say, Chris, when he's not got time to think than if he has, which is mad because one of his best strengths is how intelligent his runs are. So he's just a walking contradiction of a footballer at times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so you mentioned uh, Gundogan and uh, his, well, certainly upturn in form in the last few weeks. He himself doesn't think it's his best period at City. He was saying the other, the other night that he thinks that his best form was the end of the 70, of the eighteen nineteen season when he stood in for uh, for Fernandinho at the base of midfield. Um, how much has been? How much of his improvement recently is down to him playing further forward? Do you think? I. I, th- I think I, I would agree with him that I think that even though his form is 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 very very good now, I th- I thought he was better in that in that running, like you say. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's just because of uh, him pushing further forward. I think it's more because as a team we are attacking more than we were previously, and he's because I think he, it wasn't that he was he was making runs, but the team as a whole were defensive, and it seemed to be that he was the only one making runs. But in the past, sort of, since we've had the run of good form this past like six or seven games or whatever it is, the, there have been other players also making those forward runs. So he's not the only one doing it. I don't think he's actually changed that much in his on-field position. I might be wrong when you look at the stats or whatever, but certainly by the runs that he's making and things like that, I think he's making the same runs he's been making the majority of the season. But I just think now, because there's also other options... That that is then giving him the space to to get the chances, if that makes sense. Hmm. I think uh, a lot of the reason for him being able to to sort of shine this brightly at the moment is the fact that Dave Silver isn't there. Um, it's it seems to have entered that sort of vacant slot in terms of creativity. The manner of his performances. The, I mean, he's always been technically superb. And, you know, Tidy doesn't do him justice at all because he's, I mean, they're all technically really good players, but he just seems to have picked up a bit of, uh, you know, the, the sort of the baton from Silver in terms of some of his creativity and the way he um, 
thinks in advanced positions like uh, that goal where Foden fed him and that little pirouette and turn who was that against Chelsea yeah yeah that was such a good goal it's like I mean it's better than the sort of goal Silver would score probably but I don't know I feel that he's perhaps saying his best form was in that 17-18 season because he's proud of the way he was able to play that role but I still think the way he's playing at the moment is, uh, well, certainly from a fan's perspective, easier on the eye. Yeah, and, uh, but, 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 this but, it's, but it's like you mentioned that move there with Foden. Gundogan's good form is, has coincided with Foden being back in the team because Foden makes runs forward and gives more space. Well, I wondered, if no it, space. I wondered if it coincided with the fact that City have, have kind of, in the last few weeks, they've switched back to having a right footer on the right, a left footer on the left, and it's, it's just yeah, giving just more, more space, space, more yeah, space. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, he's he's gone for right footer on right wing, left footer on, on left wing. I, I don't know if I, especially with Sterling, I don't know if that suits Sterling's gameplay. If it's helping other players come in more, then obviously you got to weigh up, you know, percentage-wise and how good for the team that's going to be. But for Sterling in particular, I just don't think being on the right wing suits See, I'd prefer, him on, I'd, I'd I prefer him on the right because, you know, when you think, if I think of the most exciting City team that I've ever watched, it's Sterling on the right, Sarney on the left. Yeah. Yeah, that 18-19 team was good, but it was the, the 17-18 team with, with that front three was better, I thought. Maybe it's a front three, but I, I don't know. I've just been watching Sterling recently on, on the right and I just feel that he seems to try and get to the byline and... I don't know. Again, it's when he's got. I just think he's not in his best form. Time. Yeah, I think well, it's probably, yeah, it's probably just that. form, isn't it? Yeah, um, possibly. Yeah, I mean, he cut his hair off, and that seemed to be. Um, <laughs> you know, it seemed to do the trick, and then he's reverted back to uh, to dodgy form. I was suggesting John Stone should cut his hair off, and that would sort him out. And he's he's not done that. Uh, Raheem has. So if that proves anything, it proves that John Stones doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> and uh, that my advice doesn't work anyway. But, well, there, no. there we are. Let's let's touch on Bernardo Silva. Uh, obviously, with that opening goal against Villa, uh, first Premier League goal in a while. That's that's going to do nothing but help him, is it, uh, Casey? Yeah, um, and I think you could see how much it meant to him as well. Um, but I think I think he's he's been in uh, he, he's been coming back to himself anyway. I think especially in that Chelsea game. Um, I know we're going back a bit and should be analysing, you know, the goal really. But I think, you know, in that Chelsea game, his movement and his decision making was, you could tell it was him getting to the, back to the Bernardo of old. Um, and I think that that goal, because um, I know he scored in the FA Cup, but, you know, it, it, it clearly didn't mean as much, even though it was a fantastic finish. But that, that release of tension... Um, in the, in the Villa game, it was a release of tension for the match anyway. But you could tell it was a release of tension for him. Where it, it, it hopefully that's one of those points that we'll look back on and go, yeah, that was a moment there where where we got Bernie back. Yeah, that's the thing though, isn't it, Chris? When you like we're talking about the form of the front players as well. Uh, it, you know, now is the absolute right time for someone like him to be getting back into form. Absolutely, and it's it's strange, isn't it, to see like the collective are all kind of gaining form and gaining confidence and it it feeds itself doesn't it like they're all becoming looking like more of a, a title winning machine i don't want to speak too soon but 
Bernardo is a case in point, and it's it's great to see. He really suffered. Uh, I think he he suffered psychologically with the um, the Mendy thing. Seemed to get to him because he's uh, you know he's all about happy vibes, isn't he? Apparently, he never takes his Christmas decorations down. I don't know if you've heard that. I haven't heard that. That, that is a bit odd. What like a, like a seventies pub? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we'd all like to live in the 70s. Yeah, 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 we would, yeah. But, um, yeah, I've heard that. And, you know, um, perhaps I'm making a bit of a leap to say to suggest that that speaks of uh, him needing to be in, like, a happy place <laughs> all or the time. Or maybe he's just a psychopath. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tinsel in the dressing room. What, what? Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's just great to see him back on, on, on form. And because... Um, he, he went, it was such a slump, wasn't it? It was such a fall from grace. Like I remember seeing him take three players on in like you know this like ten square yards and play a lovely pass and carry a moving looking for the return ball. And then a few months after that, it was like, who is this guy? What have you done with Bernardo? Yeah, yeah, because there was a legitimate argument for him being in the Ballon d'Or reckoning a couple of years ago. Which, which, when you see how he's played, you know, in the past eighteen months, it's just, just, you know, you you would never think it, would you? Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, one final thing from the the last couple of games, um, Chris. This is a it's a weird feeling, isn't it, at the moment? Do, c- can you remember the last time you felt like City were going to win as soon as they took the lead? Do you know what I mean? Like you, you don't think they're going to concede goals at the moment, do you? Well. The feeling last night predominantly was we're not going to score. I thought, um, but yeah, when when we did. It was, yeah, it was a sweet relief, and I, I didn't have much doubt about us going on to win the game. I've not celebrated like that since um, the start of the pandemic. In mm. terms of football, not that I having for anything else, but um, you know, it's yeah, I I I, I completely agree with you. It, it just felt like um, there was that sort of like rush of blood back in your body again when yeah, it just yeah. sort of like when that when that went in. Um, like it's interesting you're saying, you know, you're thinking about us not scoring. Like I, I felt last night was very, very similar, even though at different point in the season to the, uh, the the Pellegrini title running, where we needed to beat Villa, I think, in the second to last game, and we didn't score for absolutely ages. About an hour, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, and then Jeko got one, and we ended up winning four nil. Um, and last night felt very similar all the way through. Um, I, I, I saw a replay of the, of the first goal earlier on on Twitter today, and I didn't realise how late it was in the game. It's like 78 minutes. Mm. Mm. And, of course, the psychology of that with, for the Villa players, you start thinking it's your day, don't you? Because they were getting in the way of absolutely everything. It was ridiculous. Like some of the Keystone Cops moments in the box. Gundogan got megged at one point, like about well, a yard out. Megged himself. Yeah, <laughs> Who makes themselves like a yard away from goal when you're trying to score? <laughs> but, but it took but it took about eight replays for me to realise what he'd done because it seemed like you know when a computer has a glitch and it goes through his leg, <laughs> I, I couldn't work out how he'd missed it. Yeah, uh, the thing is though, Casey, like like we're saying, um, it's five clean sheets in a row for City now. They've conceded in just three of the last sixteen games, and that like that's a maximum of one goal in each of those as well. It's like that's that. This is ridiculous given where City were at. Recently, with their defence, yeah, it's John, John, John Stones and Diaz, isn't it? Like, uh, it, it, yeah, just just been absolutely superb. Like Diaz, like uh, you know, I've he's, 
it, I, I'm hesitant to say. It's oh, hard God, to put into look. words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, but I mean, like, you just want to say, oh, he is a leader. He's only 23. All those sort of cliches and stuff like that. But he is all those things, isn't he? Like, mm-hmm. you can just see him. Like, he just. He just never shuts up, does he? Like on the pitch, he's always like bellowing and moving people in the right direction. You think, you know, um, we've we've missed that since company because, like Laporte is Laporte to my mind is still the most talented of the three of them. Even though I think the three, you know, Diaz and Stones are amazing uh, and incredibly talented. To me, Laporte is quite uh, quite a bit better than the other two still in terms of a footballer and, and the talent that he's got. But he's not that sort of communicative talker that Diaz is. And when you think of what a whole package of a defender needs, maybe you do need Diaz there just to marshal the defence as well. He's so um, impassioned, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, when when City score, when Aguero was on the pitch, and even though he's the main striker, he's the main centre-forward, anyone scores and you see Aguero's reaction, he celebrates it like a fan. He loves it when City score, even when it's not him. And mm. Diaz is like that with... You know, if someone definitely when we score, but even when we we make a block or we do something great defensively, even if it's not him central to that moment, you can see him buzzing off it, and that brings so much like in terms of passion and camaraderie. And you can't well, really it does to, it, it does, it does to fans because you know when well I, I know you know it goes without saying that you know that, but but you do love to see your players have passion, don't you? You know, as as fantastic as free flowing football is, if they're sort of dispassionate robots and stuff. Like that, that, that's why people are more invested in the likes of Foden, and people are immediately warming to Diaz. It's because they care. In terms of talent, Zabaleta wasn't the most talented player, but he put he put his all in. He was an incredibly gifted player, but he maximised every single ounce of his talent to be the absolute best player he could possibly be, and that's why mm-hmm. we loved him. Yeah, I mean, I really notice it when, say, if uh, we score and there's a player that doesn't really celebrate because they're thinking. Could have squared that to me there. It would have been, uh, you know. And I thought, oh, you, oh, you like that, are you? Right, okay, yeah, I'll be watching you. Is that normally you waiting for the square pass there, there, Chris? Going, why haven't you squared that, even though it's gone in the net? I'm always in a great position to receive the ball, but uh, happy for the team to score. Fair play to you, Mike. Fair play. Um, though, as we mentioned, uh, John Stones has been great defensively. Uh, he's only scored 12 goals in his entire career. In fact, he only hit double figures earlier this month when he gave City the lead in their League Cup semi-final win over Manchester United. Oddly, of his 12 career goals, though, half of them have come as part of braces. Sam Roscoe looks back at the three times that Stones has doubled up. Good times for a change. Towards the end of his first season at City, many were questioning whether John Stones was worth the money the club had spent on him, with many more asking if Pep Guardiola's style of defending would work in the Premier League. The manager came out fighting. John Stones had more personality than all of us here to wear in this room. More balls than everyone here, guys. That famous speech came after City's one-all draw with Liverpool in March 2017. I love with under pressure, the people criticise him, the people say, well, won. he went there and play again, and when I play, when we talk, when we talk. So I am delighted to have John. With all his huge amount of mistakes they have, I love him. I love this kind of guys with this personality. Because it's not easy to present a defender with this manager. It's not easy. Roughly six months after that criticism, things had all changed for Stones. He was part of a great defence with both Vincent Company and Nicholas Otamendi, 
as City began to teach the Premier League a lesson on their way to an unprecedented 100 points. It was in that run that Stone scored his first career brace as Pep Guardiola took his team to Feyenoord in the Champions League. After the game, Stones was asked by City TV if he'd ever scored a double before. Never, never in a game. Yeah, probably when I was about seven, but um, no, first first time scored two in a professional game. And to be fair, it's Kevin put it on a on a plate for me, so I couldn't couldn't really miss. So I was I was pleased with scoring and, and obviously keeping a clean sheet. The reward for his good form was a place in Gareth Southgate's England squad for the 2018 World Cup. In Russia, Stones was an unlikely scorer again, as he netted twice in his country's 6-1 win over Panama. Not something I thought I'd do to, at the start of the day, but yeah, obviously to score my, my first goals for England, that was uh, something special, especially at a World Cup. I would have loved to get a, cl a clean sheet, I thought we, we defended so well and, and, and dominated the match, and to not get a clean sheet, it's, you know, it's a bit, bit disappointing, so something to take forward into the next game, I suppose, and... Uh, Hopefully I can get a few more goals from uh, set pieces. That wish, though, didn't really come to fruition. After those goals in June 2018, he had to wait 31 months until he found the net again in City's League Cup win at Old Trafford the other week. Despite a great start to the 2018-19 season where City won every domestic trophy, Stones fell out of favour for the running. Then, despite the departure of Vincent Kompany and a long-term injury to Aymeric Laporte, he couldn't capitalise, and by last August could have been on his way out of the club. With Eric Garcia not signing a new deal though, Stones was given another chance, and alongside new signing Ruben Diaz, he's really taken it. He told City TV how much he's enjoying the partnership he's formed. I've absolutely love playing with him. Making a partnership and having that click as, as soon as possible, which I think we've got and we've still got room to improve, but the consistency is, is key and, and, and us keeping clean sheets have been massive. To keep those clean sheets and, and have that platform for the lads to go and win the game is, is, is massive. Then on Sunday, he added the third brace of his career to his collection, scoring twice against Crystal Palace his first Premier League goal since playing for Everton in 2015. He spoke to Sky Sports after that game. Another clean sheet, as you said, another win. Keep that winning momentum going. And two goals for, for myself, which has been a long time, as you said. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm delighted. Remember the last Premier League goal? Yeah, Man United, I know it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long, it, long ago it was, but um, put a lot of pressure on myself to, to try and get some goals. and. So, and get so more you, goals. you were aware of it, were you? That you hadn't scored yeah, Premier League goals yeah, yeah. for City. No, I need to. I need to contribute and, and bring that to to my game. It's been quite the turnaround in form for Stones, who at the moment is one of the first picks for Guardiola. It would have been easy for him to throw in the towel on his City career, given how things had gone in the last two years. But he deserves great credit for how he's fought his way back into the team. He's now reaping the rewards of his hard work, and the goals have been the icing on the cake. Hi, this is Gary Cook, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. A look there at John Stones' goal-scoring record recently. Uh, time to look ahead to the game with Cheltenham now, the uh, the FA Cup tie. Um, Casey, what are you expecting Guardiola to do with this one, given his normal approach to, to Cups, but also the fact that, you know, 
De Bruyne and Aguero are, are definitely out. You know, he's, uh, the squad isn't as as full as it might be, and the schedule that they've got for the rest of this season. Yeah, you, you would hope that he would play the likes of um, Dolap and Cole Palmer, but to be honest with you, I can't see it. I reckon he'll play a fairly strong team. To be honest with you. Um, I just think it'll be more, you know, you, you like to see Zinchenko will get a full game and uh, and players like that and and other lads that have been on on the bench. He'll start with Jesus and stuff, but um, but yeah, it, it would be nice if uh, if a couple of the kids were involved. Yeah, can you? I mean, Chris, can you see someone like Taylor Harwood, Bellis coming in, in in defense and Tommy Doyle in midfield, maybe? Um, I don't know if he'll do both straight away. Uh, I could, see, I, I wouldn't rule against it personally but just he's quite um quite cautiously minded isn't he yeah i mean all, I mean, all i'm thinking is when you think back to to last season um and the port vale game at the etihad harwood bellis played doyle played yeah true but then there was that other game against um was birmingham the other week where he went nearly full strength <laughs> yeah and was it was it burton we played burton, a couple burton of years Albion ago when we were nine lot, yeah yeah and it's like the team was pretty much full strength and you know we got it's one of them in it you get loads of criticism for it and then if you play a, a really weakened team it's like oh you're devaluing the, the cup but, but yeah the, but the, the good thing about that one though wasn't Aguero captain and he just looked like a like a child that had gotten everything that he wanted on Christmas because he was captain <laughs> even, even, even though the game you know the tie was completely over <laughs> if you're going to bring um, Howard Ballis in are you keeping one of Stones and Diaz, so you bring in. Well, uh, this is it. This is, I, I was going to suggest maybe Laporte gets his opportunity to get a bit of first team football, Casey. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. I'd be happy with that. Yeah. Um, well, so Laporte and Howard Bellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy with that. But then again, you know, you think he, he might might take it as an opportunity to try out, you know, some random formation that he's got going on in his head. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's very he's a very hard man to second guess. Yeah. Uh, can we can we read anything, Chris, into in, into the selection and what he did against Birmingham to get a handle on this? Do you think is, is, is he is he likely to go? Look, the momentum is just so much more important. We've got to keep this winning run going. I don't think it's that simple with with Pep. Um, it's a number of factors at play all all the time, isn't it? Like the 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 fact the. The factors that did work against Birmingham, he will want to keep, but he'll look at the opposition, he'll look at players' fatigue, players who haven't played much, um, the standard of the opposition and how you know who he can afford to bring in or drop and play it by that. So that's why we're kind of clutching at straws, really, thinking, well, like you say, he is hard to second-guess because there's so much to weigh up. And he's the man with the... Uh, I was going to say the pen. I don't know if he's writing this down, like, but you know, he's. he's, I, he's I don't. The one I don't it. think he's taking notes on what we're saying here. I'm not. No, not on what we're saying. I mean, you know, in, in terms is, of how he, he picks the team, writes the team sheet, etc. Uh, no, okay, so he's not. A, he's not a Patreon backer, and you know what? He bloody well should be, shouldn't he? He, he should, should be. Should be yeah. After all, them body pins for Pep and everything. All right. <laughs> um, the the interesting thing with this game. Um, Cheltenham have, have, have recently uh, been on the receiving end of a Guinness World Record. They've just conceded a goal from the furthest distance out uh, when Newport's goalkeeper scored direct from a goal kick. Uh, so it's almost, Casey, like there's a nailed-on upset this weekend, isn't there? Yeah, uh, I, I actually was saying that in, uh, in uh, to, to a few people yesterday when, it's, uh, when I saw that the uh, the Newport goalie had scored. It says, well, the, you know, 
the laws of football dictate that no matter how bad Cheltenham are, it means that they're going to get get some sort of result or score a goal at least at the weekend. Have they got any City fans playing for them? I don't know. That's the that's usual giveaway, isn't it? As well, City fan usually scores against City. Uh, Edison will be chomping at the bit for this one, Chris. Edison. Yeah, taking shots from that distance. <laughs> well, he is due one, really. I mean, I'm still not uh, in agreement with people who say he should be on penalties, but uh, I think eventually he will. He will end up bagging. Would Would you let him have one in the shootout? Though? Yeah, I would. Yeah, 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 but, but, Pep, but Pep doesn't even seem to want to let him do that, does he? Yeah, I'd, I'd have had John I mean, Hart in the shootout back in the day. Mm, I mean, the thing is, a shootout. Did, if he misses, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to run back. <laughs> well, didn't Joe Hart um, score for England under twenty ones? Smash one in the top corner against was it Germany? Yeah, he did, he's, so, yeah. yeah, he's done it for City as well in the in preseason and stuff. It was like he was a good penalty taker, and like by all accounts, Edison's the same. It's just like I, I get it from not from open play, but in a shootout, absolutely. Your best, your best, if he's in your best five, he should be in the shootout list. Yeah, it, it just seems that sometimes it's like superstition with some goal, some managers and goalkeepers taking penalties, isn't it? And that brings us on to the midweek game with West Bromwich Albion. Um, I'd like to welcome Adrian Goldberg from the Liquidator podcast now. Hi, Adrian. Yeah, good evening. Come on, you baggies. Can't wait for another crack at the city. Hey? Well, I was going to say this. Uh, how much is that that one all draw? Kind of how typical of that is was was of West Brom's season? Because it, it, you know, you look at where they are in the table, been struggling a lot this season. But then the performance they put in at the Etihad was pretty decent. Yeah, it was very untypical, I have to say. Of course, it was Slaven Bilic's final game in charge, but the word was that he was already on his way out. So there was a sense of the players putting in a bit of a grandstanding performance for him. I remember a, a similar game a few years ago when Roy Hodgson was newly installed at the Albion and we drew, I think, nil-nil at the Hawthorns. <laughs> we had our backs to the wall for 90 minutes and the, the players still got a standing ovation when they went off the pitch at the Hawthorns. And if there'd been any Albion fans in there that night for the game at the Etihad, I think the baggies would have got a standing ovation too. But the reality is they hadn't put a shift in often enough for Slaven Bilic. So he lost his job. Sad to see him go. He wasn't backed by our board of directors who... Don't seem to have a brass apron to run, rub together, uh, but he paid the price as managers do. Sadly, have, have things changed much under under Allardyce? They didn't immediately. I mean, we put in one sterling performance, which was similar to the City game when we drew one all at Liverpool, and everybody thought we'd get pummeled. But the the pattern this season has been put in a good performance and then get absolutely hammered in the next game. But the last couple of matches have shown some signs of the Allardyce method starting to work. So we've been pummeled by Leeds, lost 5-0 at home, pummeled by Arsenal, conceded four, could have been eight. But we beat Wolves, which, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, is a massive game for us, the Black Country derby. Beat them by playing well as well. There was no fluke in it, beating Wolves. Rode our luck once or twice, but we, we earned that win fair and square. But against West Ham, although we lost 2-1, there was no massive dropping off in the quality of the performance. We could easily have won that game. We had a couple of chances in the second half that might have gone in had they been better directed. So I think, you know, there is signs of the Allardyce method starting to work, but it's all, all going to be for us, depending on who we bring in in the transfer window, because frankly, the squad that Allardyce inherited is not good enough for the Premier League. Yeah. Um, KC, it's it's interesting, though, that that one-all draw was probably a turning point for City, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it, it certainly was. Um, it, it, it felt like a real slog of the game, that. Um, and, you know, you've got to give credit to West Brom for, 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 for putting up that sort of performance. But we, we really didn't see him at it. But, you know, that was that was on, on quite a run of games where we didn't see him at it. Um, but something seems to have, as I say, I think I think that night, um, I think was it was the kick up the arse that the players needed, really. Uh, and I think from them, we seem to have um, butts our ideas up and gone strength for strength. Yeah, the the thing is though, Chris, we've uh, I mean we learned today that there's going to be no Aguero. He tested positive for for COVID. It kind of sums up a bad kind of twelve months or so for him now, doesn't it? It's just he just can't catch a break. Yeah, it's really disappointing, isn't it, for Aguero? I, I can't. I mean, I sent um, I forwarded on when I found out the news. I forwarded it to a few people and to a man, woman. Jack and Jill of him. Everybody just said, "Oh, he's never going to play for us again." And I was, "Oh, don't say that." <laughs> don't say those things. But I, I can only hope that he's going to be fully injury free when he comes back, uh, raring to go. I've got to say, as a West Brom fan, that Aguero is one of the players I most fear for City. I appreciate perhaps hmm. he hasn't been quite as devastating in recent months as he has historically been. But I remember a game at the Etihad when I think we'd done all right and we were holding on one all and he came on and destroyed us in the last 20, 25 minutes. He's such a fantastic player. I know City have got a lot of fantastic players, but because of his movement, because of his pace, his vision, he's just such a, a phenomenal footballer. So from an album point of view... to bring off the bench. Yeah, you, you, never, you never want to see a player getting injured or anything like that, but... It's going to help us, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, KC, the other side of it as well, De Bruyne is likely to be out, given the, the news today about his hamstring injury. Um, I, 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 you, you hasten to say that City are down to the bare bones because they're not. <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think the issue with De Bruyne is more that, because um, obviously we've got players that can fill in that are, you know, incredibly talented and we've got a very, uh, very strong squad depth. But I think the issue with um, our recent upturn in form has been um, sort of Kev as the focal point with, with the majority of play going through him. Um, I think, like, considering how good he is as well, and this this is going to sound a bit daft because of obviously he put in one of the best assists you'll ever see last week, but I, I thought the he was getting to a point where there was still more to come from him. Like, I still don't think he'd got out of second gear at any point this season. I agree just, with that. I thought, yeah. I thought he'd looked a little bit... Not off the pace, but like he was a little bit tired, maybe. Like he um, was not firing on all cylinders, playing within himself slightly. And yeah, like you say, I, there was more to come, but whether he was capable of that due to fatigue or what, I don't know. Yeah. 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 So, so maybe on the flip side, the rest will do him good, then, Higgy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and, and yeah, hopefully. But it's just, I suppose, from a, from a tactical point of view, like, I suppose the freedom that Gundogan's had with everything going through Kev or, or having the outlook of Foden, it's like, now I suppose is Bernardo's probably going to have to step into that role and he's been playing well, you know, where he is. So, uh, so it'd be interesting to see what, uh, mm. what Pep does to, uh, to, 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 uh, to address the, uh, the, the big Kev size hole because he is by far and away the best player in the league, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Adrian, when, when you look at West Brom's approach for this game, uh, are you, I, I'm guessing you're likely to sit back, keep it tight sort of thing, because th- those are the games where City actually really struggle sometimes. 
Yeah, I saw some stats today talking about uh, possession under Allardyce and our, our average possession has been 32% in a game. Uh, I don't think he'd want it to be quite as low as that. But, I mean, clearly he's a manager whose style is all about sitting deep and hitting on the break. That said, we have got players who can hit on the break. I mean, Mateus Pereira, who we signed from Sporting Lisbon and was very integral part of our promotion last season, is a terrific player. He struggled to adapt to the Premier League and the various formation changes that Bilic introduced and the, the change of manager perhaps didn't help him. But it seems to me as though Allardyce has identified him as the, the danger man in our team and the player who we've got to play through. Now, he scored four goals in the last three matches. Admittedly, I think three of them are from the penalty spot, but he let a ripper go against West Ham uh, the other night. And Pereira is a player I think City really need to keep their eye on. Kamil Grzycki, Polish international, he's struggled for four, but he's coming to the side of late as well. So, yes, we will probably sit deep, but unlike, say, a Tony Pulis side, the difference, I think, with a Sam Allardyce side, I speak as an expert of defensive relegation avoiding managers Allardyce does look to hit you on the break with a little bit of style so I think we've got something and I think we could trouble City particularly if as you say City don't like teams who sit deep against them because that's exactly what we are going to do if you said we need to keep an eye on Pereira if he can score penalties I think we need to break the bank to sign him because we can't we can't get anyone to score penalties <laughs> the, the thing is Adrian as well I mean when you look at City defensively at the moment I mean like six months ago you just said well we'll have a go at them because we can cause problems you look at how City are keeping clean sheets at the moment does that worry you I think it's a game I, I I don't hold with the view that you know this is a free here it's a it's a Premier League game where we've got it we've got to be going and trying to get something out of it but realistically you know that if Albion can get a draw out of this then that's going to be a good point against Man City and our following game against Fulham because they're down there with us is really a, a must-win match but I, I think the fact that City don't concede many well you know, we're playing against Man City. It's a, it's an awesome challenge for us. I mean, we've got no real chance of spending money in this January transfer window. And the only money we spent in the summer was spent on essentially making the loan players that we had in the championship become permanent signings. People like Pereira, people like Grady Diangana, who can't get in the team at the moment. Philip Kravinovich, who apparently is going to be sold. So... You know, clearly it is in the old cliche, a mountain for us to climb whatever City's current form is. But the recent signs have been promising. And I think one thing that's going to help Allardyce is that now he is going to, because we haven't had the Saturday match, he's going to have extra time on the training ground. And that's what he didn't have when he first came. He was into a run of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday games. So now he's got a few days to really work and drill the players and get his style of play absolutely nailed down. But we know it's going to be a really tough task and I'll, I'll happily take a point now, gents, if you're offering. Uh, right. Well, uh, at that point, let's get the charity bets. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sam Lee's correct 4-0 against Palace and my correct 2-0 against Villa have seen us have two wins this week for the charity bet. That takes the pot to £415 for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. William Hill is giving each of the panel a £10 correct score single. Uh, since Adrian's here, let's start with the West Brom game. Uh, what are you having for that one, Adrian? Well, I could never bet against my own team in the same way that I could never have a Wolves or Villa player in my fantasy league team. I could never bet against my own 
team. I'm going for a big upset, 2-1 to the Baggies. Well, uh, if that comes off, you're more than double the pot that we've raised so far. It's 45-1 to and uh, £450 if you're right. Uh, KC, what are you having for this one? Uh, I'm having my usual Bertie bet. I'll have 6-1. Uh, six one uh, is uh, four. Get out of it! Come on. <laughs> we're bad, but we're not that bad. <laughs> no, it's, ever since we beat United six one, I've always gone six one. Uh, Chris, what are you having? I've gone for two one to City. Uh, two one City is seventeen to two and eighty five pounds if you're right. And so we'll hop back to the game with Cheltenham now. Uh, KC, I, I'm guessing yours is going to be uh, the usual six one. Yeah, I'll have the, uh, the the usual Bertie bet, please. Uh, 33 to 1 and £330 if you're right. Chris, what are you having for this one? I've gone for um, 4-0 to Manchester City. Uh, 4-0 is 7 to 1 and £70 if you're right. I'm going to add one more to that and go for 5-0, which is 11 to 1 and £110 if I'm right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Adrian, thank you very much for joining us uh, today. See you again. Good luck, fellas. Always love a trip to City. I can't wait to get back there again sometime soon. So I promised on last week's show that we'd get more of an insight into David James and his City career that didn't involve playing outfield against Middlesbrough and I'm a man of my word. In part two of our interview, the goalkeeper starts by explaining how his move to Eastlands in 2003 came about. I felt responsible in part for West Ham going down and as a player, contracted player, I was not looking for the exit. I thought, you know, as as being part responsible, I feel obliged to sort of continue the fight and try and get us straight back up again. Even to the point that, you know, it was England's number one during that relegation season or becoming England's number one, whatever, and was still playing for England, for West Ham in the Championship. So I'd got back into England squad back in 2000, 99, 99, 2000. It would have been 2000, sorry, yeah, because uh, I played in the cup final, the, the last sort of competitive domestic game at the, the old Wembley. And Kevin Keegan brought me back into the squad. So my first interactions with Kevin Keegan as a manager was the England manager. And um, he he politely said to me when I... <laughs> there's some infamous chuck-out days when it comes to the, uh, the sort of the, the full squad and then the selected squad for any major tournament. So in, uh, in 2000, the Euros, um, Kevin Keegan had sort of come into my room and said, you, you knew you weren't going to go blah, 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 and explained to me why I wasn't going. And I sort of, he left the room and I thought, well, if, that, if that's the manager you are, then good luck to you. Um, anyway, so being at West Ham, I'll get the, uh, the the question, would I be interested in going to Manchester City? And I, Kevin King was a manager. So I saw there was, there was a bit of conflict. I have to say, there was a bit of conflict. I was thinking, okay. But at the same time, the, the situation at West Ham for me had changed. Um, Alan Pardew had taken over as manager and, you know, I think uh, euphemistically, we didn't see eye to eye on a few things. And in the end, my my sort of mission to to get West Ham back up again was proving uh, futile because we weren't, in, you know, we weren't top of the league or anything like that at the time. Um, and the fact that Manchester City sh- showed faith in me, the fact that I actually worked with Kevin. So, I mean, as much as I was disappointed with not being in the squad, um, I'd still work with him and there was there was obviously sides to him which I really, really did admire. Um, and then the opportunity to go to City came about and there it was, yeah, fantastic. And also, the, the, again, the, this, 
these little bits in, in in the history. I knew that Man City were, uh, I can't say this the right way, were a proper football club. You know, they weren't lost in any sort of delusions of grandeur. Um, so there was something nice about that for me. So, yeah. Uh, so what, what was Kevin Keegan like on the training pitch to, to work with? Hmm. Okay, uh, well, Kev, <laughs> I love Kevin Keegan as a person. Um, he, and uh, again, from my experiences with England, I mean, this was a guy who would, would be friendly towards everyone. Um, and at times, I have to say, I, I, and I want to say over-friendly, it wasn't that anything was inappropriate in that sense, but I always struggled, and this might be a lot to do with my background and my upbringing with regards to my football career, that everything was a challenge and a, com- a competition. Um, and you, anyone who's met Kevin will know he's, he's the loveliest guy you'll ever meet. And when you sort of bring that into an environment, especially in an England squad, where you've got t- uh, players from multiple teams and arguably well, not arguably, but factually, multiple players from different positions all vying for arguably one or two places. The fact that you get so friendly with one person could be seen by the other person, the competitor in my eyes, um, in a negative way. And I, I struggled with that um, from an England perspective. But when he came to, to Manchester City, again, he was like a really, really, really friendly guy, really, really good guy. Um, at times, though, there was, there was confusion because his friendliness was more important at times than, uh, dare I say, the function of the team. Um, and yeah, we, we, had, we had a few words, not, not in a bad way. It was just that I was a guy who, I think contextually, um, was living in the Wirral or up in the northeast, northwest, sorry. Um, I had relationships in Devon, which is the southwest, and I had kids in London. So it was almost like the Bermuda Triangle. And in order to try and maintain those relationships, some kind of... Uh, structure would have been helpful and uh, unfortunately with Kevin there was times where the structure wasn't quite there and we wouldn't know what we were doing from day to day in which case it made it very difficult to try and um, juggle an existence which took me quite literally um, three corners of the country so yeah um, but having said that again wonderful guy and um, we had some we had some good times good times not not fantastic Beat Man United was fantastic. How 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 were things different when Stuart Pearce became manager? Um, well, it, it was hmm, apart from putting me up front. Um, <laughs> well, we'll come was, on to that in a bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 John Mackin, you're still you're still going to be involved. Um, well, there was hmm, again. I mean, I, I'm speaking now. And I've, I've lost. I say lost, and maybe I didn't retain a lot of the. Uh, the memories from um, sort of in detail. But the one thing I do remember from that period was the fact that, and this quite often happens, uh, and again, a learning curve for for a wannabe manager or coach was that, you know, Stuart had been a coach. Um, he was an interim manager, I think, for 10 games, if I'm not mistaken. This, this sounds like an echo from across the city as it happens. Um, he had an, an amazing 10 games. I think we were unbeaten, perhaps. And um, then he signed as a manager. And then, if I remember rightly, things kind of went downhill pretty pretty rapidly. Um, and you, I always think that when you've got a, a coach, and I've had this experience with, uh, with multiple coach stroke managers, is as a coach, you don't have to hire and fire people. You just have to make sure the team is in the right place frame of mind, fitness, tactical um, uh, awareness to go on a field and win a game of football. And then once you become the manager, 
you are dealing with people's lives. Um, and I might sound a little bit drastic, but you know, the difference between signing a contract and not signing a contract will have a fundamental impact on someone's life. And all of a sudden the pressure becomes very different because as I said, there's consequences or more uh, profound consequences to all decisions you make. And yeah, things changed. We, we went from a really happy um, environment to a, to a slightly strange environment where you know, sort of laws and rules were the the way of the way of the day, if you like, um, rather than the enjoyment of going out and playing games and winning winning games of football. And uh, yeah, and yeah, another learning curve. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the move away from City because uh, I mean, you mentioned before about your family being in different parts of the country. You'd said at the time, I think that that you needed to move closer to to your family. Um, how how easy or or how kind of accommodating was City to that to that desire to move away? That's an interesting question. Well, um, again, there, there wasn't a desire for me to move. Um, it, you know, this wasn't me as much as, uh, let's be right, you know, if there's an opportunity and one of the benefits is that you're going to be close to your family, then uh, obviously that, that helps. But, you know, I sort of spent a, very, spent a very transient football career and that continued long after um, City and even Portsmouth. So the, the idea of me being somewhere else was never, a, never going to be the... Uh, the ultimate decision uh, on uh, on a move, but I, as I say, I didn't have a desire to leave Man City. Um, I wasn't happy. I mean, the, the the slight irony leading up to this again that we we'd gone on or could only be. I think it was probably if it's not Man City's worst. I think a waveform in Premier League history. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to think that it was worst in Man City history, but I think we had something like ten games without a win. Um, and one of those was, I'd go even further and say, I think we lost most of them, if not all of them. And we went to Portsmouth. Um, Pedro Mendes scores a shot from outside the box. don't know if it was 1-0 to Portsmouth, 1-0, or it was 1-0 to us. Pedro equalised. I know both his goals were in the second half. And then last few minutes, corner goes out. Bradley Wright-Phillips goes to close Pedro Mendes. And then Pedro decides to smash one in the top corner. And I was like, <laughs> put it this way, for ten, five or ten minutes before the final whistle, I'm thinking we're going to get a point away from home. But um, this goal goes in. Now, again, going back to my Bermuda Triangle, Portsmouth was kind of in the middle of the bottom part of that triangle. So I was driving back to Devon after the game. And I've got the radio on and I'm driving the car. And it was a sort of football phone-in show. And there were Portsmouth fans phoning in, going, yeah, we're going to do it, we're going to survive, you know, the great escape and all that stuff. And I was I was swearing in the car. I was on my own, and I was swearing in the car, and I, was, I hope you go down, basically because of Pedro Mendes' goal. So imagine the irony, as I say, I'm not wanting to leave City. When I get the shout, um, would you be interested in going to Portsmouth? I was thinking, the, that's the team I wanted to go down two months ago. Um, we went on pre-season tour to, I believe it was... China. Um, I did have a conversation with Joe Hart the other day. I thought it was Thailand. He said it was China. Um, and I didn't play in the preseason games. Now, Joe Hart sort of just joined the club and he was, you know, a, a phenomenal prospect, has to be said. Um, 
but the fact that I didn't play the games and, and any any pro who doesn't play the uh, the preseason games sort of questions their uh, their future at a football club. So, you know, Portsmouth had shown some interest, and um, I wasn't allowed to talk to them. Um, I was always very diligent about uh, the, the sort of the rules and stuff. So, you know, the, I, I did request the opportunity to have a chat with them, but it was denied. And I said, well, fine. Um, went back to Car- Carrington for training after the tour and finished the training session, walked, walked in through the physio room, which was very unusual for me. Um, and Isaacson was doing his medical. <laughs> and I was like, Hi. Hi, yeah, shook hands. I thought, hang on a minute. Um, so essentially, I was, yeah, I, I don't know what happened if Isaacson hadn't passed his medical, but um, it wasn't for me asking to move that I left. Put it that way. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. David James speaking to me there. And that brings us on to Ask the Panel, the bit of the show where you can send in your questions. Do it on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well at bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, first up is our Patreon backer, Gregor Hunt, who says, what are your thoughts on Zinchenko over the past few games? I'm very pleased defensively, still not the best, but adds something that Mendy never could with his passing. Um, Chris, like we, we were talking earlier on about the shape of the team and the fact of having, you know, a, natural footers on the on, on the correct side. Mm. Um, there's a big thing, isn't there? We, you know, if you're going to have Cancelo playing left back, he's he's been doing well, but it, it kind of skews the balance of the team. The one thing Zinchenko has offered is a good balance there. He's such a good footballer and he, he, he's a very, very good footballer. I thought last night he was fantastic. He didn't get much mentioned, but he didn't put a foot wrong for me. And um, he does have... Yeah, he does have a rook in him defensively, but I, I, I would, I would probably, yeah, I would prefer him over over Mendy. Mendy's got a lot to, a lot of making up to do um, in terms of contribution to the team, uh, and Zinchenko more often than not does what is asked of him. Um, it's hard, you know. He's, he used to be a midfielder. He's kind of been converted into the, well, I mean. Fullback as as Pep employs it, he's kind of completely reinvented the the position. But my thoughts on Zinchenko is that he's a great player and he's been really good over the last few games. Last night, I thought he was fantastic. The thing is, Casey, he's not a defender, though, is he? That's ultimately the the, the big take home. Uh, yeah, it's, that that's the natural temptation because you know Zinchenko would be probably for fourteen teams in the Premier League, he'd be their best attacking midfielder. Um, but he's he's been a, he's been a, he's been a left back for what three or four years now. I think we have to accept that he is a defender because he wouldn't get in our squad otherwise. Um, I agree with Chris wholeheartedly. I thought he was excellent last night. I think he can be ropey in games, and I think the uh, I think the um, I think Gregor who sent in the question was. Uh, I, I agree that Mendy needs to do a lot of making up, like Chris said, but I think Mendy could certainly do whatever Zinchenko could do from. From that position, um, you know, I think Mendy is a good passer as well. I think it's just he's still he's not a... the player we signed, though. He's still not the player we saw play against us, Mendy. We've still not seen him. Yeah, be I think, what I think, we were buying. I, yeah, yeah. I think I think the injuries have done him in, and I think the the fact that he is a bit of an idiot, you know, doesn't help him either. You know, the long mm. and the short of it. I don't think we will ever get the player that played against us or the player that we signed. 
Um, and I've, I, I've, I've been firmly in the camp that we should have signed a left back two years ago. Never mind, you know, in the summer it has to be a priority. And I would be, I would be very happy with Zinchenko as a backup, but he's never good enough in, in my mind to be a first choice fullback. Yeah, but fullback under in a Pep team isn't what we've grown up. You know, thinking of a fullback as is it? It's yeah, which it, which just is fine. midfielders I, and yeah, and, it and, seems and to be working. Which is why I would be happy for you know him to play thirty games as a fullback. But I think when you when you come into the big games and you play in the big teams, his defensive weakness is not good enough for him to be first choice. I, I would prefer if we had a better a better fullback. Yeah. Mm. But but at the same time, I don't know who the answer is because there's a dearth of good left backs out there. What would you say about Chilwell? Apart from him looking like a the, character from the bastard in private school, <laughs> yeah, just, just like my name's utter bastard. Yeah, it, it really does look like that. I'm sure he's a very nice chap. Does a lot of good work for charity, but you know, it does look like. What do you reckon to him? What Jacob Reese Chilwell? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, wins all the headers with his top hat. Um, I'd, I'd, I don't, I don't, I don't. I would have liked it if we'd signed him at the time, because by all accounts, we were due to sign him if company didn't retire. Um, I think it's an interesting one. I think, I think he's made better by the fact that there is a dearth of other good left backs out there. If you know what I mean, because mm. I, I just don't, I, I just don't see that many in world football. He ain't moving away from Chelsea at the minute either. No, that's no. the that's yeah. the thing. Uh, Tony Bash on Twitter says, uh, "How is it that Kevin De Bruyne can deliver the ball with pinpoint accuracy, but has difficulty getting on the score sheet? Could Pep help him take the next step by instructing him to simply pass the ball into the net?" Uh, KC, it's, it, you touched on it before, didn't you? That you, that you don't think he's he's been in prime form, um, and it's it, it certainly is an interesting one that that given the quality of his deliveries, like that's the, the one for Stones' opening goal against Palace was incredible, and yet put him in front of goal and he seems to just bend them slightly wide or, you know, rolls it back to the goalkeeper. Yeah, see, it's like, you know, the the, the question is like, oh, it's just simple, just tell him to pass it in the net and that'll, that'll solve, you know, all, you know every, every sort of problem and you think, and you, you sort of want to dismiss that offhand, but uh, I was reading something earlier on this season when Don, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was in amazing form for Everton and scoring for fun. And Ancelotti pretty much told him something similar, I think, to sort him out. It was just like, just focus on putting it in the corner. And, <laughs> I think and... he said to him, just stop taking more... He said all the best strikers he's coached with, uh, Ancelotti, he said, when they're scoring, they only need one touch. Yeah. So just take, you know, make sure the touch that you take is putting it in. Yeah. But have you, have you thought, <laughs> have you thought Kevin, yeah. about... Uh, have you thought, Kevin, about just putting it on target? Yeah, it's a <laughs> cunning plan, isn't it? We've come up with this theory, Kevin, that draws on pipe, and uh, we think you should just pass the ball into that. I mean, I do get the gist of what he's saying. Um, maybe maybe he's overthinking it. I don't know. But like we were saying earlier, I, I think, like KC said, he's not firing on all cylinders. He looks like he's got more gears to go through. I think he's not quite on a top foot. Even though it sounds daft, doesn't it? Because he's doing so well. and He's, he's got 10 assists, is it, already? He's doing some fantastic stuff, but he just doesn't doesn't look at his optimum at the moment. And um, I don't know what that is. Hopefully, he'll come back from injury uh, suitably refreshed and be 
you know the, the world's best player even more so than he is at the moment <laughs> than he was previously yeah uh, well that's it for this week's Blooming Podcast thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed the show then please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places if you want to help out further then you can become a Patreon backer and for as little as $2 per month you can get ad-free versions of the show as well as our weekly bonus show this week we're looking at the players who have played for both City and West Brom in the Premier League era Patreon also shows the tiers priced in your local currency now as well just to help you out uh, thanks to my guests this week Chris Higginbottom Thank you for having me. And Kieran Clark. I'll be back next week to review the games with Cheltenham and West Brom. I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.